if you haven't gotten a, a bulletin tonight, I want to encourage you to take some notes because I'm going to change your life. Uh, I'm just going to say that up front. And so you're going to want to write some really noteworthy things down. Uh, no, I'm joking. But what I'm not joking about is part of what we want to do out of the worship experience isn't that you would just kind of be sort of stimulated by what I say. Part of what you would want, what I'd hope would come out of this is that you could begin to also articulate what I'm trying to instill and to teach. And so this is more about retention and be able to be able to pass it on to others. Uh, so parenting kind of takes on different forms. And part of parenting is, gosh, should I, should I save for counseling as much as I save for college? Because I'm going to mess stuff up. Uh, and so should I just invest in both those as future um, opportunities for my kids? One of the things that I wanted to instill in our kids is that I wanted both of them to have service industry experience. I wanted them to be able to wait on people and have to earn not just a wage, but a tip. Kind of an odd thing, but we had several things. I wanted them to have a life sport that they enjoy. I wanted them to be able to play an instrument. There's certain things that I just felt like uh, I think would be part of their overall growth and development. But when it came to being able to earn, we live in a very entitled culture. I think Americans and generationally, people come demanding what we call our bill of rights, which I wish it was, we could change the name to a bill of responsibilities. Because if we demanded, uh, if we took responsibility more than demanded rights, I think we'd be a better off place. But my, my instilling in them, and my son worked at Lick Ice Cream, uh, he was the longest tenured, youngest employee at Lick Ice Cream. He doesn't really eat ice cream anymore. It kind of ruined him for the experience. Uh, and Annika is working at Crepe Crazy down on South Lamar. Uh, and both work at kind of, it's a counter service place. And one of the things that I wanted to do, both of them have bought their own car. We're very proud of that. And they are proud of that, especially given kind of uh, a lot of kids get things handed to them. And you don't always know they appreciate it. That's not always true. But I wanted to teach them that the idea that a customer walks in the door isn't a dollar sign. The person who walks in is an invitation to bless. Because when you start working for tips, one of the things I wanted to do with them is develop a kind of an attitude of giving and generosity. And now when we go into restaurants and when we sit down, they're more attentive to how I'm tipping. They're more sensitive to how the server is responding. And they're more attuned to what's going on in the kitchen. Because this is what happens when you have your own experiences with this kind of industry. But when I want them to understand that when people come in, they're not dollar signs, they're, they're people you get to bless, it's recognizing something on a fundamental theological level. And that's this, God is the source. I can use all my cunning, I can use all my charm, I can use all my talents, all my abilities, but at the end of the day, it's God who provides for me. And so I want them to say, you know, you come in to lick ice cream, no one comes into Lick and doesn't try like eight flavors. And so you, you, you kind of scooping your way to, it can be a lot of work with a line out the door, but everyone wants, they have the weirdest flavors ever. But my point is, son, just bless them with no expectation, trusting that God is going to provide. Now, he has categorically defined categories of people who are bad tippers. Um, but rather than getting into stereotyping, I just said, I know. It will always feel at times in life that you're outgiving others or others could do more of, of carry more of the weight. 
All I'm saying is, God is a giver, so be like who God is. And so that's been our conversation. Now, I want to ask the question. Um, you don't have to answer out loud, but I just want you to think about this. Why is it that one of the primary things that we teach children is to say thanks? What is it we want them to learn from that exercise? I mean, every time we pulled up to a curb, every time we were leaving a party, every time that our kids sat at an event where they received any kind of gifts, any kind of hospitality, we were constantly, habitually going, did you say thanks? Make sure you say thank you. Make sure you say thank you. And the question is, is why are we so concerned that they give thanks? On one level, just to be honest, reputation. I want my kids to have good manners because it's a reflection of me. But that's just baseline. I think what we're really trying to do is teach them how to give thanks because eventually we want them to be givers too. Think about that. If we learn to give thanks, it's the idea that someday we too will be givers. Because when a kid is young, I mean, eventually a child needs to grow out of the idea of just consuming, the idea of just somehow they need to find their contribution. And so uh, I think as we learn to be genuinely thankful, we hope that they would also become givers as well. This is the same thing we do with faith. I think the idea of giving thanks, but also becoming a giver is not just maturity, it's, it's normal, it's supposed to be natural but we have people growing up into adulthood that have never learned to become givers of all that they have and all that they are we have a scarcity mindset we feel like we're going to get taken advantage of we feel like it's not going to be reciprocated we feel like someone might be somehow uh, maybe working an angle on us and, and i would just say this if we understand and trust god as the source then then, then everything we have becomes a sacred trust and so, as it is with faith, we all start by simply receiving. There's something that we all need to receive. We need to receive God's forgiveness. We need to receive God's mercy. We need to just sit there and, like a child, receive, because we can do nothing for ourselves to, to make ourselves more lovable to God or more worthy of being saved. We just need to receive that free gift of salvation. But the idea is that we would grow in, in the contribution, that we would grow to become givers, generous givers, simply because that's who God is. So when we say, let's give thanks, when we say, count your blessings, when we talk about a, a rhythm of gratitude, or when we say, come and worship, what we're really saying by that is, turn to the source and give praise because we hopefully as we grow in Christ, become the object of our worship. That's really what it means to give thanks, is we're facing the source and saying, thank you for that, but understanding that if I'm really growing, spiritually and otherwise, I'm going to become the object of my worship. That's a really important spiritual reality. So it's not just teaching our kids good manners. But as we learn this kind of discipline and this rhythm of gratitude, what we're hoping to become is like who God is. And God is a generous giver. And so it's really appropriate at this time of year where we have this kind of thanksgiving and we're, we're reminded of, it's cold out, but I'm sheltered. 
It's freezing, but I've got layers and a fire and central heating. People are hungry, except that I've got an abundance and a full lineup in, in my pantry. And if I don't feel like anything, I can eat out at will. Is that me or is that God? See, I hope that all my abundance would help develop Christ in me that it would become part of my generosity. So our rhythm of generosity says this, and you've heard me say this, but I want you to learn this for for your own sakes as you try and pass it on to others, is that we give not to necessarily save anyone. We give to save ourselves from somehow believing the myth that we deserve what God has provided for us. I think this is really important for us. And so giving thanks acknowledges that there's a source, but giving of ourselves is what shapes our life. Let me say that one more time. When we give thanks, we recognize the source. Ah, someone provided for me. But when we give of ourselves, our time, our talent, our treasure, what we're really doing is allowing our hearts to be shaped. Do you think the God of the universe has ever taken exception to what his greatest gift of his son feels like on earth? Does that feel like he's getting his money's worth out of that? I sent my only son and, oh, people could take it or leave it. I mean, think about this. If I gave with the idea that I need you to receive it in the right way, if I gave with the idea that I need you to steward it as I would steward it, I would be, and often am, just to be honest, disappointed. But when I recognize that's who God is, so that's who I want to be, it changes the game on, on, on how it shapes my life. So I want to talk a little bit about how we practice generosity. And, and James chapter 1, verse 16 says this, Do not be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. For those of us who grew up with sort of an instilled work ethic, I grew up with privilege, I had nice things, but there was this blue-collar sensibility in our home. And so I have this idea that somehow I worked hard for what I have. I've earned what I have, and that tends to make me think I own what I have. Except scripture would say, the air we breathe, the health that we have, the mental capacity, the education, the idea of clean drinking water and a roof over our head, God, 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 God. It's all a gift from God. So we see that God is the source of all. I might have shared this before, but I was mentoring a a young man and um, he was in his late 20s and he talked about all these things that he believed about God. He would say, I am incredibly blessed. I believe that God has provided for my life. I mean, he was really bright. He was extremely athletic. He played division one sports at University of Texas. Um, and, and, And so when we got down to this issue of what it meant to be able to trust God with the finances of his life, he says, I just have a hard time writing that check. I go, why? Because what we were talking about is systematically and and like a rhythm for worship, a rhythm of generosity is saying, let's trust God with every area of our life. And finances is one of the areas that he couldn't trust God. Mind you, he came from a family of means. But when it came to his own finances, he couldn't let go. I said, wait, you've just said you feel blessed. You feel like it's all from God. 
So why wouldn't you be able to give back to God in some portion? And he says, because I'm not sure there'll be enough at the end of the month. And so what I'm saying is our trust, our trust in God uh, is, is what ultimately will be able to um, reveal our love for God and our, our following of Christ. Uh, and how we steward our own resources. So what I'm saying is, <clears throat> what I'm learning is when I start to see my life as a, as a sort of gift, it allows me to hold it more loosely and to make it more of an offering, whether that be my talents or whether that be my network or whether that be my influence or whether that be my skills or whether that be my finances. What I'm saying is it all comes from God, so how can I not trust him uh, to be able to, to give it away? And so the second thing I would say is this, so first we, we need to give thanks and simply recognizing the source and that it's simply not me. The second thing I would say is that give thanks because of God's kindness. Romans 2.4 says this, do you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Anyone perfect? Or do you see that God is wonderfully patient and kind with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can you see that it is his kindness intended to turn you from your sin? See, God's kindness is supposed to lead to repentance. And repentance is the idea of turning away from certain things because God is kind and merciful or turning towards others in compassion and justice. The idea of God's kindness is never supposed to be an end in itself. It says, oh, thank you for your kindness. But how is that kindness being shaped in us by stewarding God's abundance in our life? See, I think gratitude and giving invites us, if not requires us, to turn towards the giver. So you think about how is it that we give thanks? Well, when I'm expressing gratitude, I sometimes give an applause. Sometimes I show my loyalty Someone has been very, you know, kind to me. I, I tend to remain like a level of commitment. Uh, there's different ways that we can, I volunteer, I help, but I also give, give of my own financial resources as a way of saying thanks and becoming, because simply that's who God is. And the whole point of the Christian journey is to become and to experience the heart of God. This is what it means to grow in discipleship. I'm so worried that the church has just become this kind of holding place for converts when in fact the church is supposed to in, like leash out, commission, unleash disciples. And so growing in faith means we're learning to become more like God and share God's heart. Now, the third thing I would simply say is giving thanks by actually giving of what is valuable to us. Now, I would say this, generosity is unrelated to, to income and to wealth because we all give from a finite resource. But God is inviting us to deeper levels of trust and deeper levels of love. Listen to what Paul wrote to the Corinthian church when he was talking about how generosity was encouraged. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, 
For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every great work. This is like more than a suggestion. And this is more than God needs your money. What God does is he invites you to surrender, to trust, and to walk in a kind of intimacy that says, I can trust God. He's with me. Now, I would simply just kind of, we talk about tithes and offerings. I think a tithe, biblically speaking, is a systematic giving. We talk about it as a percentage giving from the first fruits. I would encourage you to start with the first thing you pay every month is your tithe. And it's called first fruits giving. Otherwise, what ends up is if you give at the end, it feels like we get into a tipping culture. I'm gonna tip God with whatever is left over. God biblically invites us to start with the first fruits of our life, and typically it has been said of 10%. I'll speak to that in a second. Now, offerings are above and beyond what is our tithe, because I'm convinced that God in introduces us, gives us opportunities throughout our days, throughout our weeks, opportunities that he wants us to respond to. They're kairos moments. They're these kind of divine appointments where God's given us the resources to meet a need, even if it's at our own sacrifice. So I would say a tithe is simply a, a, a disciplined, systematic giving um, uh, based on first fruits, and, and an offering is above and beyond that. The idea of 10% is significant. I think it's a good kind of rule of thumb, but I would hate to suggest if you're tonight giving 10% of your income away, that you've arrived. Because nowhere in scripture can I see the concept of spiritual arrival. The invitation of Jesus is always to be taken a next step. So if all that I have is a gift from God, and all that I am is, is the sacred trust, then how am I holding God's resources in my life? Tight-fisted or loosely? And so if I was to say, everyone needs to give 10%, then you'd think, well, if I could just get to 10%, I'd arrived. But I want you to be sensitive to God's spirit because he's going to interrupt your life and invite you to financially participate in other ways. Now, some people would say, oh, I so, feel so selfish or so guarded with my time. I would say, well, same thing. We are invited in the process of becoming a disciple of Jesus to give our whole lives because that's what Jesus did. If we stop at 10%, or if we stop at, well, we made it to church, but we didn't volunteer. I'm saying give of your whole lives. That's the process that we're in, in becoming a disciple or becoming like Jesus. And so there's this powerful picture. And I wanna give you a couple of examples of how I've been sort of tested, but inspired by this. In 2005, I was working with a guy who, um, he was another pastor in our church, and um, he was involved with the programming ministries, and our church wasn't growing. So what do you do when the church isn't growing, but you've got a lot of overhead and bills to meet, and you want to attract more people? And this is what I think is fundamentally concerning to me about how large churches operate. Um, but there was a gentleman who was in charge of all that, and he was a creative genius, and I don't think it was his issue that we weren't growing, but there started to be rumblings. <clears throat> this guy, not wanting to be divisive, not wanting to be confrontational, decided, I'm going to go ahead and submit my resignation, and there were several of us that were just like, 
we just, we just lost the wrong guy. It's not his fault. Um, but he signed on with an organization to develop awareness of world needs, and he was doing video work, and shortly after that, I mean, think about this. This is the Bay Area in 2005. The housing bubble hadn't burst yet. He had four sons and was living in this, like, house with, like, under 2,000 square feet. Um, it was worth a lot, but that was kind of what he had. But he goes to Africa, and through a climbing accident, because he was working on this video project, a boulder dislodges, and it crushes him, and he dies. The next month, because when he sold, when he, when he, when he, when he decided to leave the church and go, he was raising support. And he knew he couldn't afford to keep his house, but he put his house on the market to sell the house. But in the next month after his death, the church received the tithe from the house. See, for him, the issue wasn't, do I get along with the senior pastor? The issue wasn't, um, will he spend it like I would spend it? The issue for him wasn't really even obedience, though that was part of it. I think the main issue was intimacy with Christ. He was so committed to the idea that God is the source of all that I have, that if I sell my home and I make a profit, and oh yeah, at that time we're living in the Bay Area, everyone was making it a profit. You just had to sit there for a year and you're, you're, you'd get equity in your home. And the first thing he does when he resigns and doesn't have a, you know, a new salary, he tithes. Why? Because it's income. And I just remember being so humbled because I thought he wasn't handled well out the door. I didn't think he was honored well. I think he fell on the sword to be Christ-like, but it, I would have chosen different. So 2006 rolls around. Laurel and I had bought a house. It was three bedrooms, two baths, 1,500 square feet. We felt so fortunate to be able to buy a house. It was in Pleasanton, California. I gotta tell you, um, it wasn't for the help of my dad, who was a 25% owner in the home, and an interest-only loan, which I would never recommend. But that was the land of creative financing pre-mortgage crash and Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, blah, blah, blah. But we sat in that house for three years. Three years later, we sold that house and were able to pay back my dad, pay off the bank, and then begin to shop in Austin for the first time in our marriage with equity. But before we shopped with equity, we tithed on the sale of our home. Now, I got to tell you, when we were living in California, we felt like we were just at the waterline. It was so expensive. It was so cost. Laurel, Laurel was just working side jobs and she was teaching and we just made the decision when our kids were young that she was going to be there uh, to help raise the kids. Um, and so it was really hard when you're writing this check, like, do I trust God to provide for my needs? <laughs> and I had seen it modeled. I had seen what this meant. And I was like, how, how can I not? Well, guess what? We tithed, we came here, we bought a house. Our house there was under contract, except it went under contract three times. We had to pick up a double mortgage. It didn't sell until the beginning of December. And all the while, I'm like... <sighs> Uh, this, is get, like, I, this is getting scary now. 
Because we probably, I, I thought, oh, this thing will sell. Well, except they backed out, and then they backed out. And do, do you trust God with those sacred areas of your life, with those valuable areas of your life where you're like, God, I'll just give you from all the stuff that I won't have to worry about or lose sleep over. Do we trust him with the most intimate places of our lives? Our finances, our resentment and abuse, our unforgiveness, our disappointments, all of those things that, that create all the emotions, do we trust God? Because if we do, we can learn intimacy with Christ. Mission Hills was started with the hope that we would make disciples, that we wouldn't just find conversions, that we wouldn't just be a, ha a happy place or a holding tank for people who, yes, I believe in Jesus, but no, this would be a growing, developing lifestyle church where we're taking next steps together. And so I want you to consider being a part of that. As a leadership team, we've set a goal to just grow the church and expand what we do. And so by faith, our leadership team began to budget for 2020 because we had money to work with. So we're spending more going forward. And so I'm inviting you to participate on greater levels by saying, I want to trust God more with the resources of my life. And if it want to work towards 10%, great. But I would say, don't stop at 10%. Keep giving your whole life to Christ. Trust him. Don't tap the brakes, but see what God would do in cultivating a growing intimacy as you learn to trust him more. What I want to do uh, is as we kind of wrap up with a time of worship um, is I have a table in back and I want to be able to um, worship God a little more uniquely. Maybe during this time, uh, we're going to sing out a couple of worship songs like we normally do, but maybe something has triggered in your heart. I believe one of the things that makes our worship deeper is when we know the names of God better. And so the question I have for you is give thanks. How do you give thanks? By giving it a name. Do you know the names of God? Has God been revealed in your life in some way? There is on the back table uh, a kind of a creative drawing of just give thanks by giving a name, but there's some sheets on there with the names of God. And maybe God has been revealed to you as comforter, as provider, as healer, as shelter, as a strong tower, as refuge. What is it that God has done for you, has revealed for you, is doing in you that you can give thanks. I would say give thanks by giving a name. And the way we grow in worship is, the way we deepen our, is to know the names of God because those represent the character and the attributes of God. B, I'm going to invite you to come up and lead us in a time of worship. But as he does, I want to just encourage you to begin to consider how you might financially participate with us more. And part of that is if you're going into the end of the year and this has been a good year in terms of bonuses or things like that, and you want to make a year-end contribution, I'd encourage you to see Gary Coyle after this just to talk a little bit more about what that could look like. We are in the process of budgeting for 2020 and um, we're trying to be really... Um, growth-oriented in how we make disciples, but how we make faith and community accessible. We're going to start leveraging and budgeting what we have in Good Neighbor Fund because we don't want it to sit there. We, we want to be able to invest in others, and we've got really exciting things. But what I think is happening is God has been active, 
And last week we talked about giving thanks by remembering. This week we want to talk about giving thanks by simply giving. And I want you to give God the name. Name who God has been to you. Name how you reflect on God. Name the things that God has revealed himself both in the hard and in the good. Because I think God is real. And so part of our worship is to declare his worth. Will you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, I want to give you praise for what you've been doing and the story that you've been authoring. I recognize that you are active and moving, but we are constantly distracted and afraid. I believe that you are whispering into our ear, but we're listening to so many noises. I pray that you would tune our hearts to sing thy praise. I pray that you would give us special revelation to see how you've been faithful in our life, how you've been present in our life. Even in the midst of the hard, you are with us. So I pray that this time we would be able to declare your worth. We would be able to remember your faithfulness. That we would recognize you as the source even though we also recognize that we're still in need. That we would recognize your kindness isn't supposed to be an end in itself, but it leads us to turn back to you. And that we would be able to be known as generous givers because you love a cheerful giver. So we give you our praise. We give you our worship. We give you our adoration. We give you our affection. We give you all of ourselves and saying, Lord, help us to be formed and shaped more into your image. Thank you that you are a generous God. Will you stand with me as we share this time of worship and prayer?